episode 158 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. My name's uh, Kendall. A lot of you probably know me as fly underscore land off Instagram, but uh, 737 first officer currently for United from Chicago land area and uh, went to school down at Southern Illinois University. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's podcast is with fellow Division One, former Division One football player, Kendall Lane. Kendall played at Southern Illinois University and he became a pilot there. As you will listen to his story and hear how he was so driven for aviation and he knew that this is what he wanted to do. I'm very jealous. I wish that I had that same drive as he did when I was in college or when I was even in high school. So shout out to Kendall. This is a great story, one that I think will resonate with a lot of you all and one that you can kind of have someone to look up to, have someone to be like, dang, if you want to be, get into this career, then you need to follow Kendall's footsteps because he has just pretty much done everything you can possibly do to get to where he is today and done all the right things. So Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. And there is also a brand new Patreon only Instagram page. The group chat is fire. I don't say fire very often, but it is pretty great. Uh, I can interact with the Patreons more. So go check out patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. It is only for Patreon supporters and you do not want to miss out on that. We're going to have some live content. We're going to do so many things on that channel. I am so looking forward to it. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. I hope you guys really, really enjoy this episode. So without any further ado, here's Kendall Lane. Kendall, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Appreciate you for having me. Appreciate you for having me. Yeah, man. I'm excited that we've we've tried to get this in the past, I believe. Maybe it was like right before COVID hit and then it kind of just fell through. Um, but yeah, we both live in near Chicago. I can't really say I live in Chicago. I know it's very like bad if you're if you're not actually in the city limits and you claim you're from Chicago, I've learned that that's not a good thing. So you have a little bit of ground to stand if you say Chicago. I'll accept it. Good. If I get any crap for it, I'm just gonna send them to you and be like, hey, he said it's cool, so I'm good. There you go. Cite the source. Yeah. Well, that's what's up, man. Uh, I'm glad to have you on. Um, I mean, for many reasons, like I said, the Chicago, uh, we both played football in college. Um, one of the best Panther players right now is from Southern Illinois, Jeremy Chin. So, I mean, we got tons to talk about. Yes, sir. Yes, so, sir. <laughs> uh, let's dig right into aviation, though. What? Why aviation? What was it for you? Did you always want to be a pilot? Did you go to Southern Illinois and then all of a sudden realize, wow, they actually fly planes and I can do that? What was kind of the progression of you wanting to become a pilot? You know, it's interesting. I remember since I was knee-high to a duck, I've just always had this kind of interest and fascination for airplanes. I think when I think back and try to pinpoint it, uh, my parents used to send me and my little sister away to uh, Virginia to stay with my grandparents for the summers. And at the time, my uncle was a pilot for Northwest. And I remember just, um, I think my uncle flew us out there. And I couldn't have been more than probably four or five years old. Always we went summers before. But the first time I remember being about four or five, um, he took me up in the flight deck and I just saw all the buttons and the switches. And remember me and my sister used always fight over who's going to get the window seat because I love looking out the airplane. And just kind of as I grew up, you know, every we try to take a vacation. And for me, the most exciting part of every vacation was going to the airport and getting on the airplane. And I think what really solidified it was Channel 9 on United Airlines kind of sitting down and being able to hear the pilots talk. It was the coolest thing ever. And that's when the interest was started. What? 
kind of came next? Because a lot of people kind of say, uh, yeah, I know I was four years old. I was three, not a lot, but some people say that they see the plane, they love aviation. But how do you turn just like liking aviation and being interested in aviation into actually doing aviation? Uh, obviously, you can't do much when you're four. You probably maybe get a flight simulator game a little bit later. You go to the airport, watch planes. But how did you foster that love for aviation? How did you keep building it to where it actually turned into your career and it wasn't just kind of a, well, I used to like planes? Well, the answer to that is my mother. Um my mom was very, very hard on me growing up. You know, my dad was kind of the easy going. When you want to get stuff, you kind of go to dad. But mom was the was the strict one. And she used to always ask me. And I remember from the time I was probably in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, Kendall, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like any kid who likes sports growing up is, I want to be a professional football player. I want to be a professional baseball player. And she kind of politely redirected me. Okay, that's good. But what's your backup plan if that doesn't work? And it's like, well... I'm not a professional athlete. Well, I guess I'd like to be a pilot because I had that interest. And I think she kind of, she knew I had a desire for something. And without telling me, she was able to kind of direct me towards, okay. And she put that in my head. And then what would happen is every year we'd take a vacation. We'd always, they'd always be intentional about going to museums or, um, I remember we went to Atlanta and we were in Atlanta for spring break one year. We drove out to Auburn and my mom's like, you know what? They've got an aviation program here. Let's go ahead and check it out. And so over the course of several years, I would go on college visits throughout our family vacations and we'd be touring schools with aviation programs. And so it was just kind of, I'm going to say it was put into me, but she fostered the vision towards, okay, if this is something that you want to do, she kind of would always show me subconsciously what the next steps were, if that makes sense. And that kind of fostered the next steps into kind of me becoming a pilot. I did the whole flight simulator thing. I had spent hours, you know, between middle school and high school on flight sim flying 737 CRJ 700s around. But that's kind of how we put the meats and potatoes to the whole desire to become a pilot was my mom. That's awesome. Yeah, your mom, I mean, good for your mom because a lot of people, I mean, as you know, uh, a lot of your teammates at Southern Illinois they didn't really understand the fact that they needed a backup plan. They all, Everyone thought they are going to the league. I mean, that's how it was at Ohio State. It's like people would yep. come in and tell everyone, they'd be like, look, like 2% of you might make it to the league. Might. And like 1% will actually sign an actual contract and be well and not have to worry about money for the rest of their lives. But uh, it is not easy and it's pretty much impossible. So everyone does need a backup plan. I'm really glad that your mom did that and instilled that in you. Absolutely. It was, when you said that, it reminded me, there was that commercial. We were probably, I don't know how old you are, but um, we're probably in like middle school, high school. It was that commercial and it came on. It was like, there's 400,000 NCAA student athletes and 99% of them will go professional in something other than sports. Uh, but it just kind of rang the bell when you said that, you know, a lot of those teammates that I played with, football was everything for them. And, and I'm glad that at least for me, that I had something that I was working towards because a lot kind of come out confused because it's just like everything in their whole life has been around sports and outside of sports, it's kind of something that they've never even put a thought to until it's time to graduate. When was it for you? When did you realize that maybe I'm not going to go to the NFL or maybe I have reached my pinnacle of, uh, of sports? I've, it has taken me as far as it can possibly take me. For me, it was the second I walked on to Ohio State and I met Terrell Pryor. Uh, then Braxton Miller came up and I was like, all right, well, cool. I'm never going to play in the NFL because I'm not anywhere near as good as they are. And they never even really made it in the NFL. 
What was it for you? When was it? Was it earlier on? Were you more, I know your mom kind of pointed you in the right direction. Did that help you kind of have a better realization of reality and what could happen? Or did you still kind of think and hope and always hold on to going pro and then uh, just kind of had the backup plan once you realized that wasn't going to work out? Yeah, I think I came to reality, you know, late in my high school years. The reality was like I was undersized. Um, you know, I'm five seven, and so I mean, Darren Sproles is probably the one guy that sticks out. I'm a Bears fan. Tariq, these guys are five nine. That's the shortest you see NFL players. Um, believe it or not, baseball is actually my best sport. But I just kind of had a more of a desire for football, and so I knew, you know, the NFL wasn't in the cards for me. And I think I never it didn't even once I got out of high school. Like I wasn't like, oh, I'm still trying to go to the league. It was, man, I really just want to go play D1 college football like that was that was and I had I had a challenge getting to the D1 level at my size um so for me I kind of hit my pinnacle and reached my goal as an athlete once coming to the realization that I wasn't going to the NFL but I wanted to prove people I'm a D1 athlete I don't care how small I am but I know I can play at the D1 level and so that was the pinnacle for me that's awesome no I mean yeah that's uh I don't even know how tall Tariq Hill is but he's probably taller than 5'7 isn't he he's probably uh you uh Tyreek Hill's I think like five nine, five yeah. ten probably. Yeah, when you're when you're five seven, five nine, you gotta be the fastest. <laughs> you know, like yep. unbelievable. Yeah, Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles was a baller. I remember watching Kansas State versus Ohio State when I was younger and he tore us up. It was crazy. Oh, sorry, he did to go to Kansas State. Yeah. yeah uh, talk about um going to you want like you said, you wanted to play football in at a division one school. That was very important to you. Was that more important? Then flying at a, at a, at your school at your college, like when you went to schools, did you think about aviation or was it just solely where can I play D one? I can always fly afterwards. Listen, my goals were so precise coming out of high school. Um, so I didn't get, I got a lot of Division two looks, a lot of Division two, a lot of Division three looks. And uh, remember, I told my high school coach, I'm like, I'm not interested, and he got offended. And I'm like, listen, I've got. Two goals. I said, I want to play Division One football, and I'm going to a school that has an aviation program. And there was no negotiating in that. And I hate to say it, but you know, a Big Ten school, Northwestern, could have came and offered me a, a full ride scholarship, and I probably would have turned it down to be honest with you, um, because I, I needed to have aviation was the goal. It was it, they were they were synonymous. It wasn't one or the other. I like I needed both Division One and uh, aviation program that was accredited, and that was that was all I was willing to take. So you're saying Ohio State could have come up and be like, hey, man, like we know you're undersized, but we believe in you. Well, uh, we're going to offer you a full scholarship. You, would, Oh, I guess that's a bad example because they have an now, aviation hold on program. Now, got yeah. aviation I know. Program. That was a terrible <laughs> example. But you know what I mean. Uh, Notre Dame. How about that? I don't think they have an aviation program. They come up to you with all their tradition, everything. You would still say no. No, because I knew what I wanted. And, and I, yeah, I wasn't budging on that. And so that made it hard, right? Because you, you think about all the programs across the nation that have an aviation program it's 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 very limited and so you, i've already got a very small pool to choose from um and i'm undersized so it was it, it was an uphill battle to say the least how difficult was that for me recruiting was probably i mean it doesn't really seem like that bad now but it was probably one of the most difficult times in my life just because so many people are judging you telling you you're not good enough you're not fast enough you can't throw far enough uh i mean it did work out and i was able to go to a good school and a big school but it's not easy. Recruiting is a very difficult time for a lot of people. Is that the same for you? You know, so for me, um, 
when I told my coach that I really like don't even send division two coach, like I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. Um, it wasn't difficult for me because I did not have really any offers coming out of high school. Um, you know, cause my coach kind of clearly portrayed that to the coaches that were called interested. The most that happened, I know Northern Illinois, um, it, it come out, um, to the school. And I remember, I think I said something to the coach after that visit and, and he was, he was upset. Um, and my coach was really upset was because my coach told me that Kendall will be a great division two athlete. And my high school coach didn't even believe in me. Um, if that makes sense, like he was really pushing this D two thing on me. And so the recruiting process wasn't difficult in that regard. It was more so difficult because where I wanted looks from, I wasn't getting it. And so I wouldn't say that I felt in a sense rejected, but the thing is I knew that I didn't have the size that was really required of the division one level. So I knew for me, the best path was probably walk on. So walk on, uh, choose the best aviation school. Then you kind of have a little bit of power because schools will take walk-ons. They do like walk-ons, but you kind of can figure out which one has the best fit for you then as well, right? Well, in a sense. So I had, I had done a lot of research and I had went out to Hampton University D1 program aviation school. I had done a football camp at Southern Illinois University. And uh, at the, I think United and Americans, they have a United American Airlines Day where they fly kids from Chicagoland area on the American did on the MD80, United did on the Airbus. And so I had been down several times to Southern Illinois campus um, and taken tours of the, uh, the, the campus and had seen the flight program and had met the instructors. Um, so I, I had, and once again, back to those college visits that I had done, with, I had been on so many college campuses. So I knew what I wanted. Um, and so what made it a little bit easier for me uh, was it came down to Southern Illinois and Hampton. But Southern Illinois came and they visited me when I was in high school. And um, at the time I had played running back. And the way the story goes down is the coach came and said, you know, as of right now, um, you know, we don't have a scholarship to offer you. Uh, we just got to commit. He, he decommitted from West Virginia um, and he committed to Southern Illinois. His name was Steve Struther. And he was like five, eight, maybe five, nine, same body type, scat back type. And so he's essentially the same type of player I am. So say, hey, you don't have a scholarship to offer you, um, but we would like you to come down and be a preferred walk on for us. And so that was kind of the, the, the point to which I'm like, Southern Illinois is where I'm going. I trust the aviation program. It's accredited. I've got the opportunity to play Division One football. I'm a preferred walk on. And that was the move. And I never looked back. What were what did your college coaches think of you wanting to be a pilot? Did they really understand what that meant, the time commitment, how time consuming it was, or were they just kind of like, "Oh, that's cool." Like everyone says they want to do stuff, but you're probably going to do a different major. You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think they respected it, um, and I don't think it was until uh, when I when, when I got on the team, my second semester down there. Um, and it came time for like workouts and practices and say, Hey, uh, I got to be off campus flying to get back on campus to start. And cause the thing about college football is, is, you know, like obviously academics come first, but at the same time, student athletes get to pick their schedules first. So we go in before the rest of the student population. So we build our schedules around what they've got planned for like weights and, and practice and games. And so there's really not much excuse unless you're getting towards the end of your, you know, your college tenure and you've got classes that are just going to conflict. And so I think 
Um, when the coaches saw that I was always on time and I made it work, I think they respected, I think the, the, the grind and the hustle that I had, uh, for doing both. And at no point was it ever an issue. That's good. Uh, I didn't, yeah. Similar with me. Um, I remember one time specifically coach Tressel was like, Hey, when's the last time you flew? And I was like, Oh, I'm going to fly cause I can't. And he's like, if I let you go like on this day, could you go fly? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, cool. You can, I was like, what? <laughs> Which speaks to two things. It's like I I wasn't that important to the team and they didn't really need me. <laughs> and also how great it was that Coach Tress realized like the love that I had for aviation. And he was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, go fly, man. Like that We know that's going to be your career. Literally, whenever a plane would fly over, you've flown into Columbus, Ohio. They fly, if you, I don't forget which runway it is, but you fly right over um, Ohio State's campus. You fly right over the practice mm-hmm. fields. So whenever a plane would fly over, everyone would like look at me, looking up and make fun of me and like say something. And it was, it was just crazy. So everyone knew that I was like the plane guy. Everyone would be like, so you really yep. want to be a pilot? So yeah, it was pretty cool. Same. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. So our, our head coach, Dale Lennon um, at the time, and most of his coaching staff, a lot of them at the time that he had brought with them, he was a coach at North Dakota State, uh, not North Dakota, he was a coach at UND before he came to Southern Illinois. So the, the cool thing about that was here, my head coach and most of the staff just came from a university, which is another really big collegiate aviation program. And I remember you know, one of the first conversations I had with, with the head coach at the time. And um, he's like, yeah, he's like, I've coached plenty of players, you know, at UND that were in the aviation program up there. And so I think because he was familiar with the demands of aviation already as a coach coming from another school that had a top aviation program i think that really helped me absolutely and uh, talk a little bit about juggling football school and flying how did you do that um I, I i mean did you ever have to compromise between any of the three did you choose flying over everything when you had the opportunity or was it always football rest sleep some, maybe some school listen it, when i think back to college it's a blur um <laughs> and i and i say that because i mean it was I would say 90% of my time was accounted for. Like I didn't, I didn't have time to go get in trouble. They just do like my 90% of my time was accounted for. Um, it would mean, we walked through like just spring, like off season, we'd have practice it. Uh, we have spring conditioning at like five 30 in the morning. So I'm up at five o'clock and at the time I had a car, but it was just a mess because you have to like sometimes do your So I walk across campus. So I'm up at four 45 to get to practice. We do, Weights in the morning, we do conditioning in the field. It's like 20 degrees outside. Then I do my my uh, weight training right after. I run across to the uh, dining hall, eat, and then I do my morning aviation class. So I'm driving off campus, and I try to get all my aviation classes like on the same days out at the airport. And I come back, and I'm on my regular on-campus classes from, you know, 12 o'clock to 5. And then it's like, you know, you don't have time to stay up late and hang out on it because you got to do it all over again at 5 o'clock in the morning. And so college was a blur. Um, at no point do I think I ever had to choose like one over the other. I think the way that the scheduling worked and even like, I was always very, um, forthcoming with my instructors. And one thing that I did, uh, with my first flight instructor, oh my, I guess my second flight instructor, she got me my private. She was a student athlete. Also, she was on the golf team. And so we worked this schedule to where like she'd realize that, hey, sometimes like it's more beneficial for me to meet outside of my flight slot, whether it be weekends or if I had like a day where I didn't have class at all in the afternoon and no football commitment. She'd clear her schedule out so that we could get two or three lessons done. Um, that way I could get ahead because on some days I may not be able to do my lesson due to just kind of time commitment. And so I just think it, it worked perfectly the way that I communicated and the way the schedule was built. 
Um, but, but college was a blur because of the demands of, of being a student athlete, the demands of, of the aviation program, and then just being a regular college student in classes that, you know, like science, I hate science, like psychology, all those things. So um, that, that's kind of how I remember my college experience, juggling all of that. What kind of degree did you get? I know at Ohio State, we had systems, we had management, and then we had a couple through engineering and maybe one through business. Was it similar with Southern Illinois? Sam, so we had, for within the aviation, we had aviation management degree, and we had aviation technologies. Um, so I actually elected to do the aviation management route. So essentially, it's a business degree really tailored towards aviation. So I did that. And I actually juggled with that for a while because I really wanted to get into law enforcement. So I was thinking about doing the bachelor's degree in law enforcement and obviously the associates in flight. Uh, but then at the time, you know, through restricted ATP, which wasn't out, I don't think when I first got there, but I just figured, let me just get everything aviation, which worked out to help with the, the time reduction. So I did the aviation management degree. Did the difference between the two was the flight technologies, was that where you have to get every rating before you can actually graduate or was there a little more lenient? What do you mean? So at a, if you did aviation systems at Ohio State, and I think it's the same way as some 141 schools that are tied to university, uh, your credits and you can't graduate until you're pretty much done with all your flight training. So uh, say in you weren't able to get your commercial done, like it, you could still be there for an extra, like another year trying to get your commercial done. So don't, don't quote me on this because I'm not an academic advisor and I don't know all the legalese to it, but I believe like, so we had, we had a lot of people that, you know, would start the aviation flight program but, you know, this, not everyone finishes, but they complete the technology. So they get their AMP or they complete the management, but they never finish the aviation flight program. So they could graduate. The only difference is if you're not going to finish the aviation flight, which is just an associate's degree, they'd have to go take other general, uh, you know, general classes to kind of fulfill the rest of the requirements towards the total credits to graduate with an associate's. Um, so I could have bailed out of the flight portion at any point. Like, let's say I finished after my private. You know what? Flying is not for me. I could have still got my degree in aviation management. I just would have had to take more uh, like math or history classes opposed to getting those credits, you know, with the commercial and the instrument and the multi and the CFI, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. When the first time you actually flew a plane, was that at Southern Illinois or did you get the opportunity to fly a smaller plane before? I say yes. I did one discovery flight um, probably when I was like a junior in high school. It was like a birthday gift for my parents. But the first time I flew legit was the second day of class at Southern Illinois. And it was funny because I had really no, besides flights, I had no experience. It's the second day of class. I think the first day we did the administrative stuff, talking about all the rules. I think we had like a basic, you know, ground school day where we talked about the fundamentals of flight. Um, but so remember my first line is the second day of college. Um, and uh, it was my first landing and we touched down Cessna 172 and I slammed on the brakes. So he's like, like, oh, what are you doing? So I'm thinking, like, you got to land and slam the brakes. He's like, no, nah, man, we're in a Cessna 172 going 70 knots across the ground. You don't have to do that. But yeah, second day of class was really, I said, the first time I really, truly flew an airplane. That's funny. I think that catches a lot of people off guard, um, especially people that aren't kind of up to date with aviation and how to become a pilot. How easy it is to just, like, show up to an airport, student pilot medical, not even medical, and, like, you can just go fly, like, that day. Like, yeah. I think that catches a lot of people off guard. You know, it, it does. Um, and I think the stigma behind it is just like there's so much that goes into it. But the reality is there's not, especially when you first get started, because all you need is an instructor who is going to be in control and in charge. It's not going to let anything go beyond, you know, the, the realm of, of what's safe and what's not safe. But 
the reality is it's pretty easy. I mean, you can just show up to the airport today with nothing and, and pay, I don't know what, what the cost is and, and do a discovery flight. And once you get airborne, the instructors will let you fly around, do turns, climbs, descents. Um, and it's that easy. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, everyone, I get a lot of messages. How do I be a pilot? It's like, go buy a Groupon, <laughs> you know, go yeah. see if you like it. If you don't throw up and you can make it work and you still like it after you land, then you should probably keep going, you know? Exactly. What was, um, this is something you always wanted to do. You were very clear that you were very adamant about, you had two goals, play division one football and fly. Um, what was the hardest part for flying? What was it for you? Was it the studying? Was it the time commitment? Cause I know you said everything was kind of planned for college is a blur. Um, putting it all together. What was the hardest part of flying in college for you? It's a great question. The hardest part. You know, if, if we want to get really technical, um, so because I, I, I was serious about it and it wasn't just like, I want to be like, I wanted to be good at it. And so I'm like, any 141 program, it's like, it's, it's very, very, very structured. Like you have a lesson the next day. And at least for us, like you could go on and you could see all the required reading before you show up to a lesson. And so I would take that seriously. And it was, it wasn't that the information was hard. I tell people all the time, flying is not hard. Like I don't, I don't, I truly fundamentally do not believe that flying or learning how to fly is necessarily hard. It's the time commitment that it takes to put in the work to just understand the knowledge and the things that they want you to grasp. Um, and it was just like the five, six chapters of reading from the PHAC and the, uh, and the far aim on top of all the other schoolwork that you had to do on top of the fact that I'm losing three and a half hours a day to football. It's just like the time to, to put the work in, it, it, it took everything out of me. And that was probably the hardest part was just the time it took to get the information that I needed. But the thing is like when I was in it and doing it, like I enjoy learning it, if that makes sense. Um, so that was probably the, the, the hardest part. But, but technically speaking, getting my instrument rating was probably um, the, the biggest challenge for me in learning how to fly. I guess at that point, I'm already a private pilot, but it's still you're still learning. You're, you're, you're adding certificates and you're kind of building on the total package that you need to achieve this goal of becoming an airline pilot. The instrument rating was probably the most challenging because of how technical it is just understanding radials and frequencies and IFR procedures and regulations. What did you do to, to kind of figure it out to, to learn? Was it just study harder, read more, uh, use outside resources like YouTube? Uh, what was it for you that kind of made instrument click? You know, one, one thing that I had was an uncle who was, was a pilot at the time. Uh, he was Delta at this point. It was after Northwest and Delta had merged. And so I would call him from time to time and just, Hey, what is this? I don't understand this. And then uh, one of my flight instructors, who at the time was still there, um, she wasn't my instructor at the time. Um, we would, uh, I was in Alpha Eta Row at the time, uh, aviation fraternity. And so I would just spend time with people who were kind of already ahead of me in, um, in aviation, just kind of pick their brain and ask questions. And so um, it takes a village. And one thing I've never done is I never really go at things alone. Um, if there's people that know more or people who have experience, I have no shame in picking the brain. So I think using other people to help me understand concepts and things that I didn't understand just kind of helped me solidify a lot of the information that didn't necessarily come right away. And the other thing that I would do is um, if I had downtime and I knew one of my friends that was in the program was going flying, I'd say, hey, do you mind if I sit in the back and, uh, and watch? And I would learn so much from sitting in the back 
um, and watching someone else go through the same instrument course. Cause now I can see everything going on. And because you're not in it, everything is moving a lot slower. And so I really learned a lot just by observing somebody else do the same things that I was doing. Um, because I think you learn a lot by kind of taking a back seat and you're not in the middle of trying to fly, maintain altitude, intercept radials. You know, at the time, like we weren't flying on glass. I think, you know, glass is, is a huge development to the industry. And, and, you know, I'm all for people learning how to fly and using all the, the technology that's available. But I'm back on six, you know, on, on six pack. And so turn, time, twist, throttle, talk and kind of computing for the wind you know, on the G1000s. It gives you wind correct. Like we were old school. And so this kind of. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, what same. did you do at Ohio State? Yeah, so <laughs> I didn't. I didn't fly glass until I started flying the latitude, and that's I went from a, a standard six pack to G five thousand. So now, so that the instrument rating is, I tell people, and I, and I mentor you know a lot of younger pilots, um, not necessarily younger than me, but just people who are kind of earlier in the process of getting their certificates and ratings. And I encourage someone. It's like once you get past that instrument rating, I promise you, it's all downhill from there. Yeah, well, downhill is in like how hard it is to study for it. Yeah, just like I feel like once you get the instrument, like you've you've really been exposed to to most everything. I don't want to say everything. There's, there's a lot of other you know flight levels and things you don't get into necessarily. Um, but in terms of the learning phase of, of becoming a pilot, like you've been exposed to everything. Commercial, it's maybe one or two new maneuvers, but this the standards get stricter. When you get to multi, okay, it's another engine, but all the concepts are the same. Uh, when you become a CFI, you're just applying all the principles you've learned in private, commercial, and which you double I, uh, your instrument. So you're just you're you're teaching everything that you already know. But once you get the instrument rating itself, you you've been exposed to I think 80 percent of everything that's going to come at you in this industry, at least in the general aviation world. And that's why I say it's all downhill from there. Yeah, I'd agree. It's uh after that, it's kind of like you got to build your experience and figure it out and become a better pilot. After each flight, you've pretty much learned everything. I mean, pretty much, like you said, there are some stuff you still need to learn and get exposure to, but you're essentially just building experience and becoming a better pilot every single flight you take. Exactly. Don't leave the ground without AOPA's pilot protection services. No matter how you're flying this year, their team of trusted legal service plan attorneys and medical certification specialists can help. They handle over 5,000 aviation-related legal matters and medical certification cases each year. From pilot deviations to questions on maintenance or special usage airspace, the best way to prepare for your next flight is with PPS. Go check them out before your next flight at aopa.org backslash PPS. What, um, you mentioned a good point about asking others for help. Do you think or have you noticed that a lot of people struggle with that? Uh, whether they don't think uh, others are going through the same thing as them or just a pride situation. Have you seen that in aviation, um, your friends, or if you're an instructor, was that a common practice? Or do you think a lot of people are pretty good about asking for help when they need it? You know, I, it's person to person. I think there's, there's several factors at play. Um, you know, just the personality aspect of it is just some people tend to approach things kind of like they're to themselves. Um, they Maybe they just like working alone. Maybe it's just sometimes they have a challenge and want to figure it out themselves. And so, you know, if you have that sort of mindset, like I can do this on my own, I can figure it out. You And, and sometimes that can be good. But I think if you get too ingrained in that, I think you take away a valuable read. Like in aviation, we talk about crew resource management. And the whole point of that is you use all the available resources to help you solve a problem. And I think um, if you apply that to, to learning, too, there's a lot that you can gather from from other people. Just like, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I know I experienced it where, you know, uh, landing. It's like 
oh man, I'm just not, I can't figure out this landing. I can't figure out this landing. And your instructor gets sick, so you fly with a new instructor. Or your instructor says, hey, I want you to fly with somebody else. And then you hear something differently. They're saying the same thing that you've already been told, but in a different way. And all of a sudden it just clicks. And I think, I think I learned that early on. I think I learned that as a student, as an instructor, but some people just, the personality prevents them. For some people, it's a pride thing. It's just like, I don't, I don't feel the need to go and ask people for help. Um, but I would encourage anyone who's in that space is just like, listen, aviation, you know, everything that you hear, you know, even I think we teach CRM a lot, um, at least, uh, I know they teach it in private pilot. Like if, you, if you're lost on a cross country, they tell you what do you climb, circle, you know, you can call ATC. Like they teach you how to use resources outside of yourself to solve a problem. And it's the same when it comes to learning. Use resources, people, friends, those who've gone in front of you, even other students that are training with you that may understand concepts or things that you don't. Um, and it, it, it's, it's so helpful. Absolutely. And it's kind of important to remember that we're all on the same team. Uh, the only benefit you have is getting hired earlier at an airline and seniority matters. But essentially, I mean, we all want no planes to crash. We all want all pilots to pass. We all want you to make as much money as you can because that means I make as much money as I can. So we're all on the same team. Helping each other is good and needed and it's something everyone should do. Teamwork makes a dream work. I'm absolutely. a firm believer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned something that I wanted to ask. You said, I always wanted to be a good pilot. I didn't just want to become a pilot. When did you finally think you were a good pilot? Was that early on in your career? You're like, dang, dude, I'm like the best pilot there is. Like no one can touch me. Or was it later in your career and you're flying to ILS down to Mins for Cape Air and you're like, okay, I'm actually a pretty decent pilot. Um, I don't, I don't want to necessarily like toot my own horn. So I don't mean it to come off as like, oh, I think I'm the greatest pilot. But I think, I think I realized um, that that the work that I was putting in was paying off. Um, when you know I'd finish up with an instructor, or they said, "Man, like you know, Kendall, you, you really make my job easier." And they would just they would thank you for simple stuff, and it's just not you hear it once or twice, but you know, throughout the course of kind of uh, working with different instructors, you know, going through the aviation program at Southern Illinois, you know, when the instructor they're thanking you and say, "Thanks for coming and prepare," so you kind of hear enough kind of compliments or thanks for showing up and doing what you're supposed to do that it, it starts to it starts to formulate this idea that, okay like maybe maybe i am doing well at this um i, did, I think just recently posted a story that um the local news station did uh, when i was playing football at sa so they're doing stories just like guys on the team that were just kind of doing pretty cool things so they did a feature from me um as a football player in the aviation program and my instructor at the time um Steve was, he was known as like, they called him the enforcer down there. Cause you know, he, he was a no nonsense guy and PTS stands or PTS standards. And I got him for my commercial course. And, um, he's on record saying, he's like, you know, and I got this guy on my schedule. I was like, Oh, I didn't know what to expect. And so to get his praise, um, was like, okay, like I definitely am doing things well because he's not giving out any free compliments. And at that point I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing well at this. Um, so I think that's when it kind of all clicked. Um, and okay, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm excelling at what I'm doing right now. And that was a good feeling. Yeah, for sure. That's always a good feeling. Cause there, you kind of go in ranges. I feel like, I don't know you might've just felt like you excelled the whole time, but there's always these moments where you have these terrible flights where you're like, dude, what am I doing? Like, can I even do this anymore? Uh, it's just important to remember that you can still do it. Everyone just has bad days, go back up and do it again. Oh, let's, let's not skip over that. Like there are definitely days where and it never was like, I'm not made to do this. It never got to that point, but there's definitely those flights or those periods where 
I cannot land this airplane. Like I'm landing long on my short field landings all the time. Or um, why am I struggling on these steep turns? Like what? And so there's always those, and I would say they come in spurts where it's just like, I'm not, I'm not flying this airplane like I want to. And it, and it can be very discouraging at times. And I think, I think we all go through that. And I think at the time, maybe I didn't realize that this is a natural feeling of like, this isn't going well and not, the overall going well, but just like, you just kind of hit these, like kind of like baseball. You, you have a guy who's betting, you know, three fifteen. he's hitting him out the park. He's hitting doubles and triples. And he just kind of, just punt where like, why am I striking out all the time? Why do I feel like I can't get it? And, and we kind of go through that and it's natural to experience kind of those phases going through your flight training. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, that's a good analogy to bring up with baseball. Uh, I mean, Sometimes you just have a little funk, you know, maybe your priorities aren't straight in your mind. Maybe you got other things going on in your life. It's part of your checklist, right? There's not the I'm safe checklist. You got to realize uh, what's going on personally. Uh, is your mind right? Are you ready to accept this flight and all that kind of stuff? So yeah, I completely agree. What was the hardest check ride for you? I know you kind of mentioned the instrument was kind of the toughest uh, and kind of the more a bigger hurdle for you to get over. But as a check ride, was it uh, private? You know, a lot of times your first check ride, you don't really know what to expect. Uh, CFI historically the the worst pass rating out of any of the check rides. What was the hardest one for you? Oof, digging into my memory bank here. Hardest check ride for me. Uh, let's think through that one. Or maybe you every know, check ride was just easy for you. <laughs> no, you know, so, you know, I, I definitely get like those check ride nerves, you know, or it's like you finally get to the airplane after the oral and like you go to start the airplane and like your palms are all sweating. You're like texting, you're like legs shaking on the rudder. It's like, man, I hope you can't feel this, you know. Um, so definitely got those check ride, those check ride nerves. Um, honestly, I would say my private pilot was. Not had no shame in admitting any sort of failure because I think it's important to people to know like we all are going to have moments where like, we 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 mess something up. <clears throat> but my my private pilot check ride, not that it was like hard, but it was just for me it was like the challenge and um the the cross country portion of that check ride that the examiner wanted me to plan. And I was down in Southern Illinois University, and so if you go one way, it's the best way to go because we've got big towns, lakes. Uh, just so many really good checkpoints to use to kind of keep you on course. Like I said, you know, we didn't have the fancy G1000s and the magenta line. You could follow. I think on the airplane I had this day, maybe it had the, the the old school GPS or, you know, the screens like, you know, two inches, you know, uh, tall by five inches wide. I forget the, the name of it. Um, but anyways, the check route was going perfect. We knocked out all the, no, no, I'm sorry. The first part of the check was the cross country portion. So we took off. And uh, I had the nav log and I'm sitting there with the sectional chart uh, on my lap. And it was weird because Southern Illinois sits on the, uh, it's like the, the southernmost point of the sectional. So when you go south, you've got to flip this big, dumb map over. So even plotting the line on it's hard because you got to like draw the line, flip the map and figure out where the line starts on the other side of the map. And so I'm flying. I'm trying to flip the map, write my times down keep the airplane because once again we're on check ride you got to stay within all the tolerances of you know altitude and headings and so i was in this space i think they call it the floodplain so i'm like south of like the last little town before you hit this like these um it's just field before you cross the i think it's i think it's the mississippi river um and like i literally had 
no checkpoints. Like I think I'm marked this little railroad track. And so I'm like, I, I don't know exactly if I'm on course or not, but I know if I cross the bend in the river right about there, you know, 20 miles on the line, I know I'm on course. So we're approaching the river and the check airman goes, um, cause I think I was trying to find my checkpoint. I wasn't finding it. So he says, all right, it's like, I'm gonna have to stop the check ride right here. He's like, here's what's going on. He's like, I know for a fact that you're going to figure this out because I talked to it. It's like, you, I see that you're aiming for that bend in the river all the way down there. But at the time I was about, I think I was four miles off course. And I think the tolerance may have been three. And so he's like, I hate to do it. He's like, we can discontinue the check ride and we can go back or we can finish everything else. And then you'll just have to go up another day and just finish the cross country portion of the check ride. It's just one of the advantages of being in a 141 program versus um, part 61 is like, you can, you can still satisfy a lot of the requirements for the check ride and then come back up at a later time and just finish it. And so, man, that was like a moment of defeat. Like I prepared so hard for this and I got knocked because I got off course. And it was one of those things where I wasn't mad at myself. I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. It was just, it was a tough space. I think, you know, you know, remember like you got to reset your, uh, your DG every so often because of procession. Right. And so you're, planning on wins that you're just kind of forecasting you just happen to get a little bit off course and there wasn't many checkpoints so i felt a little bit defeated in that even though i wasn't mad at myself like it wasn't because of lack of preparation so that was the only check right in my life that i ever had to go up and, and repeat it wasn't a failure because of the 141 but um the private pilot check on my first check right as a pilot you know that went down and that, that that sucked and it was a feeling that um it was hard to get over because my first check ride didn't finish successful in the first attempt and so obviously going in every check ride, i thought like we talk about the law of privacy my first check ride didn't go well so always had those severe check ride nerves going into every other check ride but the private pilot was the one that gave me the most trouble what do you do mentally in that situation uh, i mean you you did go you finished the rest of the check ride and just had to be rechecked i'm, I'm guessing like you did everything yeah, else yeah i think i went up i went up with my instructor the next day and then like two days after that i got rescheduled and they gave me a little cross country portion and I flew across country and back and it was done because I had completed all the other requirements for the private pilot check ride. The day that I didn't wasn't able to finish because they gave me the option to do the steep turns and the, uh, all the other required items. So I just had to go up a few days later and do the uh, cross country portion. But the question was, how do you get over that? Um, I, I always attribute a lot of the things and lessons that I learned from being an athlete to flying. Um, and it was like, you know, I guess I played defensive back and I was a corner. And one thing coach would always, if you get beat, you know, and it's like, you know, when you're playing in front of thousands of people and you get beat for a touchdown, or even if it's, it's in practice, I mean, everybody knows you just got beat and it's easy to feel embarrassed. It's easy to throw your, it's easy to get mad. But one thing I just remember was always, you would have a short memory, short memory, short, it's behind you next play. And so you have to translate that same mentality to aviation. It's like, that's, that's in the past. Next play, short memory. Because if you start to linger on your mistakes and your errors, it starts to deteriorate at your psyche and your confidence. Um, and so just kind of applying that same mindset that I learned in sports, short memory, get over it, next play, applying that to the aviation, go up the next day, forget about it. Just go do what you know you're capable of doing. And, and that's how I handled that. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's the only way to handle it, right? It's like, uh, eventually, you're going to have to move on, and you're going to have to take this check card eventually. Uh, why not just accept defeat? Uh, 
aviation uh, life is about adversity. It's about how you uh, take the bad and turn it into good. And uh, you got to, you got to, I won't say man up, but you got to eventually just, just do it. Uh, and you can choose to do it then now or whenever, but uh, you can't run away from it. You know, when, once you get hurt, once something bad happens, you can't just run from it. You got to face it head first and go after it. Absolutely. Mental toughness is a real thing. Uh, mental mental toughness is a real thing and it's something that can be learned too like a repetition can you can you can train your body to be more tough it's not, it's like building a muscle you can train yourself to become more mentally tough so if you're not in a spot right now where you don't feel like you're mentally tough that can happen you can build that absolutely absolutely um i do have to ask one football question real quick just because you did just say ever tell everyone that you were a db uh you're talking about getting beat all right are you one of those dbs that when you get beat the quarterback makes a bad throw or just an incompletion happens, but you got beat, clearly got beat. Do you celebrate that by uh, saying it's incomplete and start like cheering and start saying how great you are? Or do you just like hope no one saw that <laughs> and you walk listen, back? Listen, listen, <laughs> the, the, the art of war is deception. So case in point, you just got cooked. And the only reason it wasn't a, a big completion or first down was because it was either a drop pass or Aaron throw. And so I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but, you know, maybe a good 50 to 60% of the time, yeah, I'm going to wave my arms like incomplete. Yeah, I'm going to get the quarterback, give the little um, Matumbo finger like, no, no, no. So, but you know what? You, you got to celebrate victories even when you aren't necessarily the cause of it. That's so, hilarious. But that's just, that's just DB's mentality Man, right there. That used to annoy <laughs> me so much. Like, but you just got beat. I made a bad throw. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're still not good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. I've always wanted to ask that. I mean, I've asked DBs before, but uh, y'all are crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, we have to be. Yeah, you're right. You're on an island, right? Revis Island. That's right. Yeah, or Lane Island, Called I should say, right? K-Lane Island back in my day. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, flying, uh, getting back to that, people are probably tired of us talking about football. Uh, you've always had a very goal-oriented life career, it seems like. Uh, did you know you wanted to fly for a certain airline your whole life, your whole career, or did you kind of take a job as it came? Uh, whatever came up for time building, you uh, you went for it to try to make your resume the best for whatever the best job could be when it comes. Well, so the time building and the things between the end goal, you know, those things was, I would say, you know, you, you take the opportunities that come. Um, but I, I think I just posted that story that they did. And at the end of the story, you know, they said, you know, what is your dream job? I said, you know, my dream job is to be a captain for Delta Airlines. Um, and that was that was the goal for me at that time. Um, and the reason I say that, you know, I think really the goal was to be an airline pilot, right? Um, but one thing about myself is I always set my goals like very, 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 very specific. And, and the reason I, I said Delta Airlines at the time was like my mentor, the, like the person who, who got me into flying aviation was my uncle and he was a Delta pilot. And so obviously like following his footsteps, like I literally wanted to follow in his footsteps to a T. And like, I also wanted to, to be at a point to where I'd be able to, to fly with him. He'd be my captain. I'd be his first officer. And so Delta airlines was the pinnacle was the goal for me at that time. So as you're going though, did that change? When did that change? I guess, when were you okay with not going to Delta or uh, when were you I guess you're probably always okay not going to Delta, but when were you kind of just like, well, you know, United's kind of cool too. Like, I'll take that. You know, I think for me that changed when I actually got to the regionals. 
Um, so I went to SkyWest Airlines and, uh, you know, at SkyWest, we flew, you know, United, American, Delta, Alaska. We flew for everybody. And I saw how all the different operations worked. Um, and it got to a, a point to where, you know, the further you get into to aviation, to flying, I think in any type of career that anyone is aspiring to be in, sometimes what's important or what you thought mattered it doesn't necessarily matter as much as you thought it used to. And so for me, uh, two things changed. One thing that changed was like culture. Like to me, I felt like, you know, culture is an important thing. Like working at a place to where like, you feel like your personality, like the way that you operate, um, like it meshes with like the values of a company. Um, and the other thing that changed for me is like, what do I want out of my career? Um, and I always wanted to have the ability to, um, to fly wide bodies. Um, and obviously like Delta's got wide bodies, but I know United, um, honestly, Oscar was the CEO of United. And, um, so when I was at SkyWest, I just saw United start to make a lot of strides, like with the company culture and things that they were going. I was like, I was like, man, I could get on board with that. Um, I had several mentors, um, airline pilots outside of my uncle who were also pilots and sell them work for United. And so, um, United became a really viable option place. Like, man, I really believe that I could have a career here and do everything that I want for my personal goals and also be a place to where like, I believe that like my values, who I am as a person um, w- would mesh with the culture there. Um, and so when it came time for me to, 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 to move on, like I only applied three places. I applied Delta, uh, United and Southwest. Cause those are three places I felt like, man, like I really, I really believe I could be happy here. And um, two airlines called at the same time, interviewed two places at the same time. I got hired at the same time or two and ended up choosing United. Um, and, and, and I'm very happy with that decision. I've been happy here so far. Are you still happy even with everything that's gone on? Like, uh, even when everything was in the, the heat of it, where you're like, dang, I should have gone to the other place. Or you're like, nah, thank goodness I'm at United. No, um, that's, that's, I've been asked that a few times. Like, man, do you wish that you would have went elsewhere? It's like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, yeah, obviously I, I not been furloughed. We were able to mitigate pilot furloughs. And, you know, the one thing I realized and someone told me is like, Kendall, you'll never know that you made the right decision until you retire. And, and, and that's just the reality of this industry. Like the best airline today may not be the best airline 10 years from now and may not even be around 20 years from now. It's like, this industry is so cyclical. And I say like, this is an industry that's built upon the glass house or glass foundation. Like you throw the smallest rock and everything comes tumbling down. Um, but the one thing I always tell myself is like, you know, you made a decision at the time that you made it with all the information that you had available at that time. And I chose it. I stick with it. And to this very day, even we're in the middle of a, a global pandemic and obviously things are rough in the airline world, but, but I, Without hesitation, so I am very happy um, that, that I made this decision and I look forward to finishing my career here. I think it's important. I like what you said, how you can't beat yourself up for making a decision that turns out to be a bad decision per se in five, 10 years because you made the best decision for you, for your family, or whatever it is at that time with the information you had at hand. Uh, TSA, or not TSA, uh, TWA, Pan Am, like no one really thought they were going to go out of business when people were going over. I mean, eventually they did, obviously, but there was a point in time where they were the top dog. Like no one could ever imagine a world without Pan Am. Uh, and look where we are now, you know? 
Uh, you you can't predict the future here. And if you constantly judge where you are on a day-by-day, year-by-year basis, you're going to drive yourself nuts because there's always going to be someone that's younger than you and senior than you. There's always going to be someone that's making more than you. There's always going to be something that's doing something that you want to do. Uh, just make the best decisions that you can possibly make with all the information that you have. That's all you can do. And, you know, they say hindsight's always twenty twenty, And it's like, oh, well, if I would have done it, she's like, you can't, like, those those comments don't hold any weight because like what we've already just talked about, like at the time you can only make a decision based off the information that you have at the time. Um, but like you said, Pan Am, see, like those are the creme de la creme airlines, you know, of that age and they don't exist to this day. Um, so it just goes to show like you, like, and I don't know what my future holds. I don't think any of us do. Um, but you know, I think setting goals and, and even sometimes when you are presented options, I think oftentimes it's, it's like, remember that book, those books that you used to read, where it's like, for this result, go to this page. It's like, you don't know what's on the other side of that page. But when you're sitting there and you got to choose which direction to go, you just like, you know what, this is my move and I'm going with it. And you just have to live with the results. And like I said, there's that back to that mental toughness we talked about, you know, earlier. It's just like when things don't go well, things don't go your way. It's like, you got to, you know, buckle your boots up and, and, and figure it out and just, and, and and move and, and make the best of the, the situation, uh, make the best of the situation that presents itself. Um, but that's, that's the one scary part about this industry in aviation is you just don't know what the future holds. Well, it's not even that you don't know. It's like a lot of times you can't, you have no say in what's going to happen. Like it, you could be the best pilot, never mess up, pass all your training. You just pick the wrong airline or you're the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you end up getting furloughed. You end up losing your job. Like there, you don't have a say in what, necessarily how your career plays out. You hope for the best a lot of times and you do create your own luck and you put yourself in a, in a good position. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, there's a lot of people that are making those decisions that affect you. Absolutely. And, and, and the other part about a seniority-based system that it's good when it works and you're able to kind of work it up to the top. But the one thing that becomes so demoralizing about it is just imagine putting in so much time and and maybe even feeling you've made it to where you ultimately want to be. And then your company goes under, you furlough and you never get the opportunity to return, but to continue your career, you have to start at the bottom somewhere else. Like that's, that has to be one of the most debilitating. And I haven't experienced that yet in my current, and, and you know, not going to hope I never do, but, but that's, that's something that I can't imagine going through, you know, being, you know, in your mid to late forties or fifties with, with kids or whatever your circumstance is and having to start over. Um, it's just, that's, that's one of the very scary things about, about the seniority system and kind of how aviation is set up. Even in the corporate world, I guess it it works. And I'm, I'm not in that realm of aviation, but just imagine kind of giving your, your career to one company, you know, for so long and they go bankrupt and now you're out of a job and something you've, you've worked so long to build and having to start over. And I think there's a sense like your experience, you never lose your experience and you can always hopefully transfer your experience somewhere else but within the the ranks of seniority just like that idea of having to start back at the bottom again it's just yeah. oh, that was awful yeah hopefully no one has i mean unfortunately if someone will but hopefully not many people have to experience that uh i, I want to focus on we can go through them quickly but i want to touch on two things uh, i'll start with this um you mentioned earlier talking about mental toughness uh and uh, kind of putting your boots up when things aren't going your way uh, obviously you were relatively fresh new hire at United. Uh, I believe you're on the seven, six, seven, five, right? Start out I with? was, yes. So yes, international, seven, five, seven, 
you knew pretty early that this was not going your way pretty quickly. Like you, I'm sure you're just like doing crunching numbers in your head and you're like, all right, I'm flying a wide body. They aren't flying anymore. Uh, I'm very low on the seniority list. They're probably going to furlough. How did you go about this whole situation mentally? How did you stay mentally sane? How did you, um, how are you still like mentally there for your family? Like how did you manage everything uh, and try to be positive and try to just get through everything that's going on? So. I'd be a lying man if I told you that like it was all, you know, rainbows and butterflies throughout the course of the pandemic. And when things finally started going south, um, you get online and you read the forums or you just listen to the, you know, the, the people that are very pessimistic, glass half empty about life and things in the industry. And it's like, uh, it's like that, uh, that Simpsons me where the guy, the kids on the bus, he's like, I'm in danger. You know, like that, that was like, that was it. It's like, this isn't good. Like I'm at the bottom of a seniority list at the time. I think I had uh, a little over 500 people below me. They're like, Oh, first round of furloughs. You know, it's at least a thousand off the top. We're probably going to lose 3000. We're going to lose a third of the pilot list. Man, I was really depressed in a sense. And I'm not going to say like I, I fell into depression, but I would say that I was battling depression at times because uh, when everything first hit, it's like, okay. So I started applying to a bunch of corporate gigs and um, I had the time for a lot. Some of them, like I had a little over um, a thousand PIC uh, before coming to United, but a lot of them, like, oh, we want 1500 or 2000 PIC. Like, okay. So some of these I'm not qualified for. And then I apply to some and I get, Hey, thanks, but no thanks. It's like, okay, I'm finding it as an airline guy. It's going to be very, very hard for me to find something in the corporate world. Not that it can't be done, but I was striking out consistently. Um, and then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm about to be outside of a flying job. We already had a few regional airlines go out. So there's thousands of qualified pilots on the street and I'm about to be a number. And not only am I a number, I felt as though I'm not really the most desirable because a lot of these companies are like, Hey, you're on furlough at a mainline airline. When things get better, you're leaving. So I felt like there's already another obstacle that I have to clear. And so I came to this point, just like, man, flying may not be in the cards for you um, in the near term future. And that really like that, that really put me in a low place. And I think the only way that I was able to kind of keep going is I had bad days, um, but was just at the end of the day, like I got to provide for my family. I got to figure out how I'm going to get this done. I started driving for Uber um, just to, just the past days. Like, you know, it's probably like we're on the move all the time. And so I just needed something to do to get out the house and make some money. Um, I start asking myself, like, what could I do that I would enjoy? Cause a nine to five just ain't it for Kendall. Um, so I start looking at law enforcement and uh, even some federal law enforcement gigs. And, uh, without getting too deep into that, I really started getting a lot of traction headway. I'm into that, um, and getting deep in the interview process and even some job offers within law enforcement. Um, and so once I started to realize, okay, like you're going to be able to land on your feet in the career outside of aviation. I think that kind of gave me some hope. It's like, okay, I'm going to be able to make a living and, and, and put food on the table and pay the bills. But it was still really kind of depressing. Like, man, like my my goal, my passion, my dream is flying and that doing that. Um, just it, it sucked. Was the hardest then, part? Oh, sorry, keep going. No, keep going. Well, well, it's kind of right when I got to that space to where, you know, things are really starting to fall into place. Then it's like, hey, we're going to mitigate all pilot furloughs. So it's like, okay, well, that's good, but still, you know, they're saying, well, technically we can furlough in June again. Um, so there's still that lingering thought in the back of your mind. And mind you, during all this, I'm not flying at all because at the time at United, being on the 7576, like you mentioned, 
Um, the seven, six was largely kind of international. The seven, five is, you know, the most fuel efficient airplane at United. So when pandemic hit, they parked that plane. And so, um, they never sent me back to my recurrent training. So I was not qualified to even do anything throughout the entire time. So it's not like I'm flying here and there during the pandemic. No, like I wouldn't even fly. I wasn't even qualified because um, my CQ had lapsed, my recurrent training had lapsed. And so, uh, but once we had mitigated pilot furloughs and things kind of started to turn around, there was still this lingering thought in the back of my mind, like, Hey, we may have just kicked this can down the line. Um, but it was, it was, it was a very hard, tenuous process throughout the course of 2020. And it, and it, it sucked. What was the hardest part? Was it the mentality of, I need to figure out a way to put food on the table for my kids, for my family? Was it, I've worked so hard to be a pilot. I finally had my dream and kind of my identity stripped for me. Uh, or was it something else? It's all of the above. Um, it's all of the above. And the one thing that I've tried to do, I'm not saying I'm always successful at it, but I try not to put my identity in pilot, right? Like it's, it's, it's what I do. It's what I love to do, but it's not who I am. Um, and so when there's a threat of that being stripped from you, it really challenges that is your identity in this, right? Because if my identity is in that, that makes it harder to go do something because I could be successful outside of aviation, right? I could go find a job. I could provide and do all those things. But if my identity is in something and I'm not able to fulfill that, then in a sense, you kind of feel like a failure. You feel like you're not you know, fulfilling your purpose. It's like, I tried to disassociate me being a pilot from my identity, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I think that's kind of healthy, especially, I mean, obviously that turns out to be healthy now, but that's really hard to do because when pilots, I mean, when you get around other people that aren't pilots, they still want to talk about being a pilot. When you get get around pilots, you just talk about being a pilot. It's pretty much your whole life. That's all you talk about from when you get up to when you go to bed. It's like someone's talking about you being a pilot. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I I hope the light is at the end of the tunnel for you and and not just for you, but for the aviation industry as a whole, uh, everyone's been through a lot. Uh, I mean, you got here, you got your dream job at such a young age. When you took that job, you thought you saw your whole career in front of you. You could count down all or count up all the way until year 65, pretty much know what you're going to make, uh, based on current contracts and kind of know what you're going to retire at. I'm sure you're going to be in the top 1% of the the pilot seniority by the time you're going to retire there, being as young as you were. Uh, and it's difficult to have that ripped away from you. But I mean, I think you know this. I think everyone knows this. It is cyclical. Uh, who knows where we're going to be in five years? Let's hope that the cycle goes back up and not farther down. But you know, like we, who knows? We just got to take the punches as it go and and have a good mentality, like you said. But hopefully the light's at the end of the tunnel and we're making our way back up to where we were in 2019, 2018. Hopefully so. You know, we just we we just have to ride the wave. You know, but it was funny because we we sat in basic in doc uh, at, at United, and they said, "Congratulations, you just completed your last interview that you'll ever have to do in the rest of your life." And here I am, mid pandemic, like, well, that was a lie, you know. But <laughs> you just kind of got to roll with it. You need to find out who told you that and be like, well, I had 13 interviews and I did not get any of them. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, The last question I wanted to ask was, and we don't have to go too deep into it, but uh, it was interesting. You were a flight instructor, Cape Air, Sky West, and then United? Correct. What what was the, uh, the thought process of leaving being a flight instructor, going to Cape Air, rather than just staying as a flight instructor and going to Sky West? So believe it or not, the Cape Air was actually, um, 
it was a deal that Cape Air, my um, university had worked out. And I was actually the, uh, the first group to do this new partnership. And so, um, I would instruct a few days a week, um, for, uh, the university. And on the other days I would fly for Cape Air. So I did both of those simultaneous, believe it or not. Nice. That's cool. What routes did you so fly they, for they, Cape Air? They called it a, they called it a co-op. Um, so I did uh, Marion to St. Louis, six legs a day, three round trips. Yeah. But then some days, some days, the you know, I was, I was always really eager to build my flight time. There'd be some days where I do the six round trips uh, or not six round trips, uh, the three, uh, three round trips. So six legs a day. And then sometimes I come back and then do night flights with my students. Um, so they were, they were long, busy days, but you know, like a lot of people, like when you're in that space of trying to build your time to move on, like you're willing to do things that people will call you crazy, but it's like the name of the game was get your time and move on. And so it was, it was, it was a busy time, but I did both of those simultaneously instructed and food for Cape Air. Looking back on the decisions you made and where you ended up and, uh, do you wish that you would have done anything differently? Are you happy with the path that you've taken to get to where you are? I would not have done anything different. Um, I think that um, it all worked out for me. Um, like I said, you know, back to that hindsight's twenty twenty. Like even if it didn't, you know, I I made every move. You know, when I made it is like. It, it was the best opportunity at the time that I had to, to, to one gain experience. I think valuable experience, like flight instruction is good and you learn a lot instructing, but then being able to just fly for Cape air and get one thirty five experience flying passengers. Um, it, it, it I, I wouldn't change a thing. And, and it worked out for me. Um, it worked out for me. And even the timing of getting on at United and moving on, it's like things just work themselves out to, to, to my benefit. Um, you know, a lot of it's by luck. You know, obviously a lot of it's hard work too, but so a lot of it's by luck too, just having the right opportunities present themselves at the right time. Um, I wouldn't change anything about, about the journey. Absolutely. And you are right. There is a lot of luck when it comes to someone getting hired young, but you also put yourself in positions to create your own luck. I'm very much a believer in that, that you have the ability to kind of put yourself out there for that crazy opportunity to happen. So you, you built your way to that. You earned it. Uh, and it wasn't all luck. It was some hard work and a lot of hard work put in it to get you in that position for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, last, let's do this. I got a rapid fire section for you. So this is going to be uh, a couple of aviation themed questions and you have to say the quickest. I mean, the absolute quickest, no explanation answer. Shoot or shoot. All let's right. do it. What's your favorite airplane ever? Overall, any airplane ever made, what's your favorite one? 757. What's your favorite corporate airplane if you have one? Like one that makes you wish you flew corporate. Let's go with the G5. All right. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen in your life? Ooh, what's ugly? What is ugly? That C5 Galaxy is kind of ugly, to be honest with you. But that thing's a beast, though, too. But yeah, it's not the most beautiful thing in the world. We might get some crap for that, but we'll take it. Uh oh. (laughs) What's something? (laughs) Yeah, it's all him, not me. What's something you (laughs) wish you knew before you became a pilot? How many regulations were involved? <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. No one said that before. That's a good one. Uh, who's one person? Flying, but... Yeah. Who's one person in the industry you would like to meet most? They could be living. They could have passed on. Just someone in aviation that you wish you could meet. That's a good... Bessie Coleman. There you go. Fitting. I like it. What is your favorite thing about aviation? Landing. 
Landing, 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 and land that butter. <laughs> What's the hardest flight? Or no, what is, let's do this one. What's your favorite approach you've ever had? Or flew, flown. There we go. <laughs> favorite approach. That's a toss-up. We're going to go with the River Visual and the DCA. All right. Is there another one? Yeah, Missoula has a fun one. I mean, it's just, uh, it's like an RMP approach. You yeah. can fly it like with the GPS, but you're kind of coming through the valley. Um, and just the mountains are all around you. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, Missoula is a great place. That was, that's what I was debating with. Yeah, Missoula. Montana, Wyoming, all those airports up there are pretty sweet. Jackson Hole is a good one. Too. Oh, I mean, Jackson's the greatest place in the world. That's my favorite place to land, without a doubt. Anyone who follows me knows that. It is just unreal. Jackson Hole. It almost seems fake when you're coming in. You're just looking at the Tetons, just like, all right. <laughs> I guess I didn't I didn't get to see it going in, but going out, because it was IMC going in. Oh, like, no. Going out, it was beautiful. Yeah, well, just wait till that approach, and you're like, well, I hope the other guy's actually flying the plane, not staring at the mountains like I am. <laughs> <laughs> right. All jokes, if the FAA is listening, all jokes. <laughs> Promise. Cool. Uh, what's your least favorite approach you've ever flown? LaGuardia, 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 LaGuardia. <laughs> well, that's probably going to answer the next question. What's your least favorite airport you've ever landed at? LaGuardia. <laughs> what's your favorite airport? Ooh, I love San Diego. IFR or VFR? IFR all day. Favorite airport food? You got like 30 minutes in San Diego or no, let's do Chicago because their food kind of sucks. Well, you got 30 oh, minutes in Chicago get to get some food. What are you getting? You gave me like the worst airport to choose, but uh, <laughs> if we're going to do Chicago, we're going to grab a pizza from Wolfgang Puck. All right, there we go. You made the, you took the best answer you could with that one. Yeah. O'Hare I'm airport. a foodie, so I was going to. O'Hare food choices are by far the worst out of any airport I've ever been to. They, they you know, O'Hare's really got to step the food choice. I and mean, we're an international airport. We got to up the food options. Absolutely. We're, aren't we what the, the biggest, uh, the busiest airport before all this thing that we just switched with Atlanta? And we got the worst yeah, food. Back and forth with Atlanta. It's like, why are our options? Like, Can we get a Chick-fil-A, please? <laughs> listen, if, if we got a Chick-fil-A, I would be the happiest man in Chicago. I know, right? Same. Uh, let's see. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? Oh, I'm going to go beaches. I think I know the answer to this question. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing all day. Favorite airline livery ever made. It does not, or it cannot be United since that's who you fly for. But favorite airline livery you've ever seen, you just want to see again. Oh, man. What is nice? I know this is rapid fire. You know what? I missed the big old obnoxious red from Northwest. All right. There you go. Fair enough. Long trips or short trips? Would you rather get on a 7.6 and fly for six, seven hours, or would you rather be on a 7.37 flying six legs a day? Come on, not see the fact that you threw six legs a day. That <laughs> All right, that wasn't fair. Off. Four legs a day. Uh, and I'm you get to go to Jackson seven, for one of those legs. <laughs> see, the, see the, the end part, the Jackson's what, what gets me. I'm going to go with the four legs for right now, but that's going to change every few years, I'll tell you that. Well, then I should add like a seven five or a seven six to Paris, and that might does that change anymore? If I end up in Jackson, I'm I'm still like I'm just I'm not conditioned for that long haul flying yet, so I'm still choosing. I'm still choosing. My, I'm sticking by my answer. What is the biggest regret of your career, if you have one? Ooh, biggest regret. I took a year and a half away from aviation uh, between. Uh, Cape Air and going to Sky West. That's my biggest regret. Why? Why'd you take a year and a half? 
just a lot of life things going on, yeah. a lot of life changes. Um, so it took a year and a half off, not, not necessarily by choice. There's a lot going on. Um, so yeah, I wish I had that year back, but I learned a lot in that year. That's good. Sometimes those are the best years to learn about yourself, right? Absolutely. What is the most humbling moment you've ever had in your career? Mm, the most humbling moment. You know, I lost my medical, believe it or not, um, oh, really? due to a football injury. Yeah, I had a concussion and started getting serious migraines. And I uh, lost my medical, and that, that was very humbling, um, just not being able to fly. And so I kind of jumped through all the FA hoops and getting that resolved so that that, that would be it. Yeah, what a waste that on my worst enemy, losing your medical, man. That's some scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, last few here. Uh, biggest win of your career? I'm guessing it's being hired at United. Absolutely. No, you know what? Yeah, but you know, the first time I got to fly my mom, that that was a huge win. The one who pushed the yeah, flying mom, that was that was their biggest win. Shout out to your mom too for being such a big influence in your life and making it happen and making it seem like it's a reality. Shout out to moms. Yeah, hopefully she's listening. <laughs> Would you rather fly a CRJ or ERJ? ERJ. Piper or Cessna? Piper. 141 training versus 61. 141. If you could choose one airline to fly uh, 60, you could, to fly from New York to Sydney, Australia, what airline would you choose? I'm going United, baby. Come All on right. now. All right, fine. You can't choose United. All right. Let's go with uh, Qantas. All right, cool. They're probably the only ones that fly that route anyway, or even try to. So that makes sense. <laughs> all right, man. Those are all the rapid fire questions. My last question for you uh, is someone's listening to this. They, they love what you're saying. They want to be like you. They want to be in a position that you're in. They see all the hard work. Uh, what are three tips of advice that you would give some? It doesn't have to be three. It could be one, could be two, could be more. But what are just some key tips that you would give for a young pilot coming up in the ranks? Um, tip number one, you know, a proverb is people perish for lack of vision. Um, I think you have to set goals and, 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 and goals without a plan is just a dream. It's like, know what you want to do and then plan, map out what it is that you're going to do to get there. That way you've got concrete things that you can constantly work towards and get into the next step, the next hurdle. That way you're constantly moving towards that goal would be number one. Um, number two, um, you know, it's, it's a very small industry, you know, watching the things that you say and put on social media, um, and just being very smart, um, you know, with your character and things that you put online, because that stuff can come back to bite you. Um, and just using wisdom and discretion, I think is huge, especially if you want to be successful in this industry. Number three, um, is find people that you respect that you look up to, um, and find mentors, find people who can correct you, who can help you, who can guide you, um, to shed knowledge and give wisdom. Um, because it takes a village. Um, and I think having the right people in your corner is just uh, a very helpful tool to kind of help you reach those goals that you had. And those would be the big three things I would give to an aspiring pilot. Perfect. I love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on, Kendall. I appreciate it. I uh, wish you the best. And hopefully we'll have you on again here soon and talk about how how great your career at United is and how you're number one in seniority. <laughs> and every, this is just a blur and you forgot about it. <laughs> so, hey, appreciate uh, you. Yeah, thanks. Man. thanks so much for having me. I know it took a while to get it done. I'm glad we finally made it work. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. Want to link up sometime in Chicago, man. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, have a Let's good one. It. I appreciate it. Likewise. Take care. 
AV Nation, that is a wrap on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Like I said, Patreon is unreal right now. 2021, year of the Patreon. Check out the Instagram-only Patreon page. Leave a review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram. Share it with everyone. I mean, that is number one. Share this with everyone you know. If you don't do anything that I said before, it's totally okay. You can redeem yourself by sharing the podcast with all your friends. So AV Nation, I hope you guys are having a great day. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're having fun. And as always, happy flying.